Let's go to God and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we're not alone. We thank you, God, that you go before us, that you love us so much. That because your son Jesus' death on the cross, that we can have new life in you, that we can be called children of yours. God, that we may be sons and daughters of you. God, as we open up your word this morning, I pray that you'd give us ears to listen, that you'd give us hearts to meditate. God, that you would speak to us, that you would turn our ears towards your voice so that we may hear you ever so clearly. Oh Lord, speak to us. God, I pray that you'd stand in my body this morning, that you would think through my mind and you speak through my vocal cords the things you have us say, know, and do. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be ever so pleasing in your sight. God, may we leave today changed because of your gospel, because of the good news, because of Jesus Christ. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Isn't this good? 10 a.m. together? When I heard it was a possibility, I just had a huge smile on my face because it only meant one thing. And that one thing was I had an hour longer to sleep. Anybody with me? Yeah, we have those 9 o'clock friends that are saying, pray, and we're all together. That's the other good thing, so don't, don't hear me wrong. But um, my heart does go out for you 10.30 friends um, because it is a half an hour earlier, but about now you'd be starting, so welcome. Thank you for coming together, and I'm excited for what God has in store this whole summer at 10 a.m. If you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to pull them out if you have your Bible app. If you could turn to Luke 15, 11 through 22. We're going to be in Luke 15, 11 through 32. And if we haven't met yet, my name is Josh Hinkin. I'm a pastor here of the high school and young adults. And it is an honor to open up God's word together. I'm excited. Um, today we start identity. Next Sunday we talk about belonging. And the Sunday after that we talk about mission. And they all tie together. It's going to be really, really good. So I want you to imagine for a moment this morning, and some of you are already there because you saw the sign that said what? Please take one, and you had one of these, and I am so proud of some of you that put your name on it. Oh, it just warms my heart. So imagine for a moment you came to church and someone asked you to grab one of these, or maybe you went to a graduation open house, or maybe a class reunion. Some of those are my favorites to go to when they have a name tag that says, my, hello, my name is, and why? It's because it takes the pressure of remembering someone's name, right? Anybody with me? So all of a sudden, I can come in confidently and boldly knowing your name if you put the right name on your name tag, right? Oh, it's wonderful. So imagine for a moment you're here in church, and someone put that out there, and you put your name on there. But maybe you haven't filled it out yet. Instead, your host or someone said, please put something that defines or describes you. So you might say, hello, instead of my name is Josh, you might say, hello, I am. So some of us would go to what we do. Maybe you would say, hey, I am, for me, I am a pastor. Or maybe you primarily put your time to a landscaper or a builder or being a nurse or a mechanic or retired 
or a drummer, or a manager, or a grandparent. Whatever you do, things profession-wise, or you put your time to. Maybe it's a, a challenge that you have experienced. And maybe this is not something you'd be willing to write on your badge or name tag, but things that you define yourself with. Like maybe you would go as deep as saying that I'm divorced or bipolar or a cancer survivor or bankrupt or jobless. Sometimes we define, by the, we define ourselves by the challenges or struggles that we have. Maybe you define yourself with what other people say about you. Right? Have you ever been there, positive or negative? It's like I'm looking at the mirror and I see my reflection, but then I also see all of yours reflection. And oftentimes it's easy for me to define who I am at the core of who I am by what you say about me. It was in 12th grade. I had a nice little piece of paper that had some red marks in. We were in English class. Uh, rhetoric, it's a fancy name for English. That's just where I'm going to put it. But uh, I wrote a paper, handed it in, and I said, uh, and I got it back, and I got some red marks. Okay, a lot of them, actually. And I went to my teacher after class. No joke. I went to my teacher after class, and I said, hey, uh, what's up with this paper? It looks pretty good to me. And she said, hey, Josh, your writing is abysmal. So for an English guy that's not big on English, I didn't even know what abysmal meant. I was like, sweet. And then I walk away. So then I go get a dictionary, and I'm like, what's abysmal? And maybe this was her whole point was go look in a dictionary. And it says extremely bad. So I was like, excuse me. I don't know. In 12th grade, you were supposed to say, hello, in a way, my writing's abysmal. And I took this identity on with me, oh, still do in some cases, thinking that my writing is abysmal. I had to even look how to spell it. Abysmal, extremely bad. In some cases, it goes even further than just saying my writing. Someone else says something about abysmal, so maybe the rest of me, maybe there's parts of me that are extremely bad or abysmal. Or maybe you identify yourself with something that you're passionate about, right? Some people here were passionate about certain things. Maybe you're passionate about being a missionary or starting a new church or being part of campus ministries. Or I asked my son, and my son said Spider-Man. We define, some cases, we define who we are and identity by what we do or what people, other people have said about us or what we're passionate about. And it's so important because by what we do determines who we are. What we do, the actions that we do, determines who we are. There's a big deal about identity because the Bible is full of identity. The Bible is talking about the identity that God is and the identity that we are as humans, and how they come together, and how we have experienced this new identity as a son or daughter of the God Almighty King of the universe together. What we do, our actions define our identity. So it is important. So in a way, I just want to define it, and then we'll get at it with Luke 15. Identity is the sum of everything that pertains to us and shapes us. And so some of these things that we're passionate about, some of these things that we do, is part of our identity. Another definition is identity is that sense of being and self-understanding that frames our actions, that communicates to others who we are, and sets our agenda for our actions. So really, at the core of who we are is our identity. 
And it is really the wellspring of all that flows out of your actions. And I wonder today, how do you see God identify you? How has God defined who you are? And so this morning, we're going to look at the parable of the prodigal son, or some people call it the compassionate father and his two sons. And we'll look at a few points here. We'll focus in on this identity crisis of this younger son and older son, and then we're going to see if we can reclaim our identity and ask, who are you? So here we go, Luke 15, 11 through 32. Here we go. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. Oh, time out, one second. A parable. This is a parable, by the way. A parable is how Jesus sometimes communicates with us with this earthly experience with a heavenly meeting. An earthly experience with a heavenly meeting. So, in this, in Luke 15, it's tied to also the parable of the lost coin and the lost sheep. And now we're here with the parable of the lost son. Here we go. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, Give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distance in wild living. After he had spent everything there was, a severe famine in that land, in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach, stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, some translations would say, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Are you tracking with this story? Can you see it played out? This is the younger son in his, in his communication with his father. Now, check out the older son's response. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come! He replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving away for you and never disobeyed your orders. 
Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Check out his father's response. He says what? My son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So I just want to take a quick look at the younger son real quick. Going back, as we look into it, verse 13, really verse 12, and we see this younger son ask for his inheritance, basically. He asked for all that is due to him. And in this culture, to ask for that is to basically say that, hey, dad, I wish you were dead. At the core of it all, you don't ask for your inheritance until after. So we really see this son reject his family's identity. If anything, he rejects his father. Even just to say, hey, I want to leave is not just a rebellion. A Jewish thinker or someone who would hear this story would ask this question. How could he treat his father like that and expose him and his family to so much scorn and shame? It really isn't as much about the son as it is about the father. And in the culture that preserves relationships, him asking for the inheritance and then getting up and going, packing his bags and leaving, is just this act that also heaps more scorn and shame on his family. And so in this younger son, he's just rejecting, in a way, his identity within his family. Who he is, who his family's identity is. He also rejects. His identity in the religious sense. He's a Jew. And what we see here, he goes off. First, he squanders everything he has. And then, after he spent everything, there was a severe famine and he had nothing. And who does he go to? He doesn't go to a Jewish person or a Jewish region. He goes to a citizen of that country who sent him to feed the pigs. So for a Jewish man like this, to feed his pigs is a big deal. Oftentimes, pigs were associated with Gentiles, and that's who he's talking to. That's who he's working for. Jews see, ultimately, these Gentiles who are unclean, these pigs that are unclean, and this is where he's hanging. This basically renounces his faith. So he rejects his family's identity. He even rejects his religious identity. He basically is on this journey to discover who he is. And some people might say this is a, what, identity crisis. Hitting rock bottom. Where to go from there? Then we look at the older son, right? The older son comes in. He sees the son come in, and his father throws a big party. And how does he respond? He responds in anger, in hatred, basically. He's been saying, hey, I've been slaving away for you for so long. And what do I get? His identity, in a way, is wrapped on what he's doing for what he can get out of his reward for how he's been serving his father. It's interesting, too, how he even considers himself slaving away. Not like, I am your son. I'm slaving away. I might even be closer to your servants. And so here we have these two sons in a space of who are they? Who are they with their family? Who are they with their faith? 
Who are they at their core? So um, I don't know if you got a handout when you walked in. In the back, if you turn around, there's a, a, a dude named Eric Erickson. He was born June 2 uh, in 1902. He's known for this um, psychological development uh, stages. So there's eight stages here. If you look at it, um, you can see at the age what each kind of crisis and or movement should be. You have this stage one with someone who's an age of a baby is trust and mistrust and it keeps going until what do you find at stage five? Identity. And so Eric Erickson, um, he's pretty well known in this field. He says teen behaviors often seems unpredictable and impulsive, but all of this is part of the process of finding one's true identity. Parents and family members continue to exert the influence on how teens feel about themselves, but there's outside influence. You know what I'm talking about? There's some good positive outside influence, maybe some pastors, maybe some some good Christian people, and then there's also some outside influence um, in the culture, societal trends. And it should, in your teen years, help in if you're rounded by good people bring you forth to a good, real, true identity in who you are. But what happens in identity crisis, and his point is, his identity crisis might be one of the most important things in a person's life that might happen in the teen years, but how many of us here have been through an identity crisis as we are older, right? Not in our teen years. And, and he writes this. He says, it's not just confined to adolescence. Instead, identity is something that shifts and grows throughout life as people confront new challenges and tackle different experiences. So according to Erickson, an identity crisis is a time of intensive analysis and exploration of different ways to see oneself. Are you tracking with me? So we look at this younger son who is just kind of gone, trying to find who he is in a way of this crisis, wondering what to do, where to go. What does he think of? Who does he think of? He thinks of his father. He thinks, maybe if just maybe I can come as a servant, as a slave of his father, not even as a son. And so what does it look like this morning to reclaim our identity In moments of crisis, in moments of just sitting here this morning, who are you? So as we look here a little bit further, verse 17, he came to his senses and he said, he came to his senses, he came to himself. He came to a place where his eyes were open and he saw, he saw the light. He saw what his life amounted to. And he then knew. What does it look like to go back to my father? So what does he do? He opens his eyes. He wakes up to his current status as who he is. And he goes where? He starts walking home. So many people would believe even just the act of walking home is an act of repentance. Just an act of walking home. And who does he see? He sees his father. And what does he say? He says, I have sinned against you, against heaven and who you are. Then I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm no longer worthy to be your child. Identity crisis. And I love how his father responds. He responds with my son. 
He rejoices with his son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. If you look at even in verse 31, his father, even his interaction with his son said, My son, lost and is now found. And so I just want to ask, what about you? Who are you when you look into the mirror at the core of who you are in connection with who Jesus is? Who are you? So um, here's the deer, deal. Um, if you have your license, just grab it, pull it out, look at your beautiful picture if you want to, um, and kind of follow along with me on this one. Say uh, you were going to go down. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. There I am. That's my identity. That is who I am. At the original meaning of identity in Latin would equal same. The original Latin meaning of identity or ID is same, a oneness. So this ought to be the same as who I am. So you're going down 131, you're going about 85, which you probably shouldn't. But if you've been there like I've been there and not going 85, but being pulled over a little bit too fast, let's just be honest. And he, get, he comes up to your car and he says, what does he look for? He looks for your license and your registration. And he pulls both of them and he's looking to see if they're what? The same, right? Hoping that you are who you say you are and you're driving a car that you have licensed to you or your kids, one of the two. So then here we go. You go to the bank, right? And you see the teller and you bring this up and you're like, hey, here, this is me. And what is the teller trying to do with the account on the screen to see if it's what? The same. Okay, hey, you're going to go on a flight, and you're going off and I don't know, England maybe, somewhere fun, somewhere cool. And you bring this and your passport, and the TSA agent is looking to see what? That it's the same, right? That who you are here is matching this, and then what you see here is matching this. And I'm just, just follow along with me for a moment. I'm wondering what our spiritual identity looks like. One, that does not expire, right? And at the core of that identity is Romans 10. And Romans 10, 9 through 10, that says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Jesus, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. I just wonder, at the core of who you are, Romans 10, 9 through 10 speaks true to you where you have confessed and you believe and you are saved. Your spiritual ID. Now what happens if you lose your ID, right? Been there, done that. You tear up the house trying to find it, right? Everything unpaused, like time out, let's figure this out. And you find it. What happens for us when we lose our spiritual identification? Our spiritual idea. We don't realize, we don't understand. The world has been telling things to us, about us, that we're starting to believe that is not true. That Jesus here this morning is calling us here, saying that you and I are children of God. It's wonderful. Because when I lose it, and I gotta get a new one, I got a DMV, but 
For our spiritual ID, when you misplace it, when you forget it, when you don't know where it is, when you've got to reclaim it, what does it look like to come to the feet of Jesus? What does it look like to come home? A new life is here for us this morning. Jesus is calling you into a, a relationship with, you, with him. He's calling you into deepen your relationship with him. Because of Jesus, we are all valid. Because of Jesus, we are all sons and daughters of the one up high. This is inheritance for us all. And what the deal is, is sin shows up once in a while. And sin is distorting our identity that we have with Jesus. Sin is this refusal to live with the true, the sameness, the oneness, the spiritual identity that you have with Jesus. And I'm wondering if it's matching up for you. I'm wondering how your life's actions, because what we do, or who we are determines what we do. So if we're doing certain things that is fragmenting the true identity we have in Jesus, I wonder where your identity really is. And I've been asking that question for me, even up to this point, having to dive into this idea of identity. Is who are you at the core of who you are? Yeah, maybe these things that you do, these things that you're passionate about, but do you claim this morning, Romans 10, 9 through 10, do you claim that you are a child of God this morning? So I wonder, if you, today, spend a little bit of time in the mirror, gazing, searching, asking what God says about you, doing a little research in the Bible, what God says about you, that you were once lost and now you are found. And guess what we get to do? We get to throw a party. We get to have fun. We have the opportunity to live in joy to no longer sit in shame because of the mercy, the unconditional love and forgiveness of our Father in heaven. Isn't that beautiful? The Father didn't say, well, okay, I told you, son. You shouldn't have taken all this stuff. Why do you hate me so much? He didn't go in there and say, well, I told you that was going to happen. Instead, he welcomes him with a hug. The embrace, the kiss, the robe, the ring, and the sandals together symbolize love, forgiveness, honor, and reconciliation that's bestowed upon his son. And that same is for you, too. So there are many false identities that we hang out in. There's things that people have said about us that we believe. There are ways of life that we're living that are not the same as our identity and who Jesus is. And so I wonder what it looks like to instead of defining myself as someone who is abysmal, but to define myself in a different way. And I wonder what it looks like for you too. So quick video clip of people who have identified themselves in certain ways and have met Jesus and saw the light and have come back home. 